to start off with the scripture. It says in Proverbs 31, verse 8, Open your mouth for the speechless. That's the mute, the silent, the dumb, the unable to speak. In the cause of all those who are appointed to die. And as I share uh, this story, my story tonight, uh, I have notes because it's a little bit emotional for me, uh, a lot of it. And I'm hoping to stay on track, but I can't guarantee that. But as I share it, I'm not looking for compassion. I'm not looking for sympathy or empathy or to ride some wave caused by uh, Friday's uh, SCOTUS decision. I'm not here to argue politics and laws, uh, what should be done, what could be done, what was done. Uh, But I share this as hopefully a way to open a window into a world that may never have been experienced by some, and I pray won't be, and has been experienced by many. Now, as I say that, I can't, obviously, I don't presume to speak on behalf of everyone who has uh, done what I've done and gone through what I've gone through. Uh, As many detractors will certainly point out that I'm a man, and this is a woman's issue. Uh, But I say to that, uh, I agree partly to that, right? I can't speak for a woman or what she's gone through or the different emotions or things that she might have felt in this type of situation. Uh, But there are two people involved with children. And there are many men who I'm sure have gone through something similar. And again, I'm not trying to bring attention to a man or to a woman. uh, But I can only speak to the things that I've gone through and what the Lord has brought me through since then. Uh, And what I want you to see and to hear tonight, or whenever you're listening, is really the truth, the truth of my story, the truth of God, and the truth about my first child. Uh, You know, there are times to share things in life and times not to. There are times and people to say things to and times and people to not say things to and in different ways to. And like I said with the recent ruling on Friday, uh, I believe this to be the right time to share it in this way, in this capacity. Uh, The struggle I have, and again, I share it just to give you some insight into uh, behind the scenes of actually talking about these things in my life personally, uh, is what right do I have to even say anything? To that detractor as a man, what right do I have? Uh, as one who's even committed this, right? What have do I ha- what right do I have to say? Can I even mention my child in any situation because of the things I've done, the thing I did? Uh, and it may seem silly and contrite to someone on the outside, but to me, this is what I struggle with uh, because of it. When asked how many children I have, and I get asked that a lot because I have a lot of children. I always want to say one more than I have. We have four in this house, and I always want to say five. And sometimes if the situation seems right, I do say that. And I can elaborate if it goes further than that. Uh, Other times I don't, and I wish that I had. Well, why share, and why bring it to light? Well, some would might do it in their lives to make things right. Well, I never can make anything right. Me sharing this, me telling anyone, will never bring that child back, will never make up for the sin that I committed, will never make me right in the presence of God or change the course of history, and will never bring absolution. But what what I hope to do in sharing this is 
number one, bring glory to God somehow through my actions and his grace and forgiveness. Bring some honor to a beautiful child that was dishonored in the most awful way imaginable. But also bring some hope and love for those caught up in it or have gone through it. I guarantee that we know people, whether we know it or not, who have gone through something similar. And hopefully, prayerfully, that one day someone might listen to this who has gone through it or is thinking about going through it. And hopefully, I can tell this story in a way that's respectful to all of the above. And also to my college girlfriend, that if she were to ever hear this, she would not feel shamed by it or uh, hurt by it in the way I talk about it. And ultimately, hopefully, to save just one life. If this saves one life, it'll never change the life that was lost. But at least it'll have saved one life. And with that, Lord, we do ask, God, that you would save many people's lives, those who are going through this, those babies who um, are at risk for one reason or another of having their life taken from them, of no fault of their own. God, protect them. God, we thank you for the freedom for states to choose, to make a decision, the freedom of choice to choose life. And we pray that that would happen by your spirit and by your will and through your word. And God, we thank you for that. Thank you that you love us and you have the power to forgive even the worst of sins and to turn uh, lives around that were headed for the grave and bringing others to the grave with them. We thank you for that, God. We ask that you would speak to us all uh, through this uh, and through what you've done uh, in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And as you know, <laughs> you too at least would know, that I grew up uh, in church, in and out of church, and in a Christian school. Uh, my parents uh, knew the Bible and went to church and knew the Lord, uh, but they divorced. And not that it's their fault that I went the way I did in life. It definitely uh, was uh, impactful as a child, being nine years old. And by the time I became a man, uh, and I don't mean at 18, sometime in my high school age, I was making manly decisions, or decisions that should have been left to adults but were uh, in my hands to do. And I went my own way. I never stopped believing in God, so to speak. I knew that God was real. I knew that Jesus was his son in the Bible uh, was right, but I went the way of the world. I went my own way. I made my own decisions, or so I thought they were my own decisions. Um, by the time I was in college, I was living uh, the college life, not going to class so much, and involved in drugs and relationships, and um, doing everything I can to feel good, to have fun, uh, to make my own destiny uh, as I saw fit. Uh, and little, little did it ever work out the way I wanted things to work out, right? But I had a girlfriend in college, uh, one of my first uh, serious long-time girlfriends, um, and it was a bad relationship. Uh, I don't blame her for that. I blame myself for that. Uh, not that she didn't have her own issues, as don't we all, especially, uh, you know, apart from the Lord. Uh, but uh, this was about 20-something years ago. This was... Her dad had passed away in September 11th uh, in the Twin Towers, and uh, we were in college, and we saw all that happen, and, uh, you know, that affected us, and that put us certainly in an emotional spiral and put us in places where we were more vulnerable to do things and 
uh, you know, uh, be a part of things that, I don't know. I mean, we, we sought them out, so obviously there was something in there, but I, I think you know where I'm going with that. And so I just want to set the stage that 20 years ago, I was in college, and this was the darkest time in my life. Um, I've had some rough times, but this was the darkest time leading up to it and, and certainly after it. But I can remember, and there are certain memories that are real visceral in life, right? Good memories, good smells, good things. Uh, but as I think about this, I am instantly transported back to that college dorm room, that suite with a shared bathroom and a recently built uh, dormitory, um, and the pregnancy test, and seeing the result, and the wave of shock and sort of the world around faded away and it was just this stillness and knowing what it meant and not being any in any place in life to uh, you know do the right thing should I have done the right thing could I have done the right thing yeah absolutely but uh, in that mindset you know not stepping up and doing that right thing immediately looking for a way out, immediately feeling more lost than I had ever felt before. And I had felt very lost before. That was part of life. I was looking for truth. I was looking for the way, uh, but I was neglecting the Bible that I knew already. I was trying to find my own way and find the truth another way. And I can remember calling someone I knew uh, who I could trust in and confide in, uh, but somehow I think would also rationalize where my mind was going and what decision uh, was being really probably whispered in my ear by the enemy. But deep down, even through all this, I can still remember, I can still see it, I can still feel it. I didn't want that way out. Deep down, there was some part of me that was excited. Deep down, there was some part of me that uh, could see the right way. But I had no idea to go about that way forward. I had no idea what steps to take to go that right way. And I thought of some, but I wasn't able to do it. I was a prisoner. I felt handcuffed, uh, whether I realized it or not at the time. And I really didn't because I was deceived. I was full of sin and leaving, leading a life full of sin. But as I look back, I can see that I was clearly a prisoner, clearly handcuffed, clearly led by the chains of my own sin, of my own choosing. And there's only one way out of that, we know, as believers. But I didn't yet know the way out of that. And she was Catholic. We had similar beliefs. We both knew the truth that there was a baby growing inside of her. But for some reason, obviously sin deceives, right? We listened to the wrong voices. We went the wrong way. And I'm not sure she would have gone if I didn't take her as I look back, right? I don't, you know, I don't know what she thinks or what she thought. You know, we've far since gone our separate ways. But I can remember she seemed totally lost. And me feeling totally lost too having the desire to lead us in a direction and lead her in a direction, right? That's sort of the man's role, the man's natural bent to do that. But the way I led was not the right way. 
It was as far from the right way as you can go. Would she have married me if I had asked her? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, if I had been serious, I mean, we technically, you know, she had a ring on her finger, but you know what that means to young, young kids in bad relationships. It's more of an emotional thing. And I'd wanted to get married. She'd obviously stayed with me to that point for some reason, probably an unhealthy one. And she eventually left me down the road, which was a great decision on her part. But could we have faced her very strict parents who hated me already? Uh, probably hated me rightfully so. Uh, I don't know, but I wish we had. You know, leading up to that time, we looked for money, trying to scrounge, you know, college students eating Pringles and hot dog buns and scrounging money from the cafe to try and come up with a meal. And we knew we had found out how much it would cost to end the pregnancy. And we scrounged up some money, begged, borrowed, and I don't know, remember where exactly it came from. Uh, a lot of that time is really a blur. There are a few things that are crystal clear. Uh, there are a bunch of things that are a blur. Uh, but we found a place, and it was in uh, New York City. I don't remember what borough, uh, but I remember we had to plan a trip there. And I can remember, I don't really remember going in. I don't remember the day. I remember we had to, like, skip classes and stuff. Uh, but we went in, and I remember it being a very somber trip in. I can remember having to shield her from protesters who were outside, who handed us pamphlets, who had... Uh, picketing signs who had graphic pictures of what would happen to a child from this procedure and I can still see them and how bloody they were and how awful they were but it didn't stop us it should have stopped us someone with any sort of heart or emotion or love left in them uh, should have been stopped by the sight of that and you can argue about different ways and what's right and what's not right to do that but I can tell you this, that even in some sense in that day, I was glad that they were there. And I'm glad that they were there today. I'm glad that it wasn't easy for us to walk into this place. There wasn't confetti and candy and a gold paved road for us to go in and, and make this decision easily. I'm glad that there was a hard wall, so to speak, of these folks outside who were standing up for the life of the child that we were not standing up for that we were delivering over. But I can remember the atmosphere of that place, being in that elevator and how, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know which place it was. I don't know what it actually looked like. Maybe it was super clean. Maybe it was nice in there. I can't imagine that being the case in the heart of some place in New York City, but the atmosphere in there was so dark. It's like the lights were on full brightness and it was still dark. The walls could have been super clean, and it just felt dingy. It felt dirty. The, the uh, emotions on people, the atmosphere in that place, you know, you think the DMV is bad. The feeling inside there was hellish. I can remember having to wait in the waiting room and her being taken away into another room and... Uh, just the way people were talking to each other out there and her demeanor going in. Forgive me. And
the way she came out were very different. And it had been probably a month or two, you know, she it wasn't like it was just the next day. It was, you know, there, there was definitely a growing baby inside her at that point. And it wasn't a, you know, like a pill. There was a procedure. And she just looked drained and devastated and gray. Uh, I remember going home and us trying to not tell anybody, especially her parents. And I don't remember how long it was after. It could have been days, could have been weeks, but eventually some sort of mailing made it back to her address. And she was an adult. We were both adults, right, legally. And I guess her mom had gotten the mailing from the place that we had visited and found out. And uh, things changed from that point. But uh, eventually, uh, I dropped out of college. She went off to another school the next year. Um, but it was a deeper dive into depression for me. A deeper dive into drug addiction, into alcoholism from that point. I'd always partied and pursued those things to try and fill a void. But now that void was so big. Eventually we broke up, but I think what's interesting is that God actually used her. She got me the Left Behind books. I used to read Revelation and, uh, you know, I used to talk about the end times. She got me those books. I got more, more interested in it. Eventually I got a Bible. It took a little while, but eventually I gave my life to the Lord because of that Bible and from those books and from the situation. Um, and, you know, I think, I, I hope and I pray the Lord would got a hold of me uh, anyway. Um, you know, I had plenty of opportunities before this happened to repent. And uh, it wasn't like our first scare either. So, you know, there's plenty of opportunities to change our ways, but we kept going the wrong way, knowing it. But somehow the Lord used this to bring me to him. Uh, and through knowing him, I was given newfound hope in life. Uh, new friends, eventually new relationships, right? But there were still very deep scars and deep pain from it especially coming right to the lord right you know we're saved i didn't feel like that empty uh easter bunny chocolate anymore i felt like the solid one because the lord had forgiven me uh but there was deep pain and to this day i still cry over what i did over not having the opportunity to ever know my child there's this longing this emptiness this just wanting to to see them again, to see them, to see them grow. And over the lasting effects that this has, not only in my life, but on all of those literally around me. Uh, this person, my child, would be 20 today. They would be 20 years old this year. And how different my life would have been is probably quite drastic not that I would ever trade my wife for my kids, and we've had these conversations many times. God has given Ashley such grace to put up with me with this. I don't know if, how I would handle it if the situation was reversed, right? It's a good reminder of who I really am without the Lord to think about these things. But not that I would ever trade them for the world. I love them. But somehow, in some small, relatively insignificant way, 
compared to what I did to that child, I love that baby. I have a hard time saying that out loud because I know what it looks like. I know what it sounds like. And I know what I did. And I know that my actions overshadow that for the rest of this life. But I find comfort in knowing that God knows all of this way more than I could ever know it. And I want to turn with you to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and read a few verses together. 2 Samuel chapter 12 verse 13. David was king of Israel. David had been sitting back on his laurels. Uh, David had been enjoying the life of king and he saw Bathsheba and uh, someone else's wife and had taken her uh, to be his own and gotten rid of him, Uriah, this good man of the Lord. And Nathan had confronted David at this point over his sin. And in verse 13 of 2 Samuel chapter 12, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David repents at this point. He's been trying to cover up his sin, but he repents at this point. And Nathan, the prophet of God, said to David, Now the Lord has put away your sin. Because David acknowledged it. And, da- and, and Nathan says, You shall not die. Like, David, your punishment is not going to be death anymore. God was going to have you killed for this. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. You know, David was king. There were other nations looking on. David was a man after God's own heart who had slayed Goliath, who was replacing Saul, a wicked king. And David fell. And David brought a shame on the Lord and on the Lord's people and on the kingdom. Remember, David was in the line of the Messiah, and this child um, uh, could not ascend to the throne after him because of the situation. And Nathan, uh, 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 I'm sorry, uh, you shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. And Nathan went to his house, and the Lord struck the child that the wife of Uriah, like how the Bible says it's the wife of Uriah, doesn't use her name, it reiterates who she really was, had born to David, and the child became sick. And David entreated God on behalf of the child, and he fasted for a period, and he would go in and lie throughout the night on the ground. And the elders of his house stood beside him to rouse him from the ground, like, hey, David, get up. But he was not willing to, nor would he consume food with them. Having a sick child, there's nothing, you know, Timmy's got a little thing on his face, and it bothers me. I can't imagine having a child who was deathly ill. The child died on the seventh day, And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child had died. And they said to him, when the child was alive, we would speak to him and he would not acknowledge our voices. Now, can we say to him, the child is dead? He may do harm. Like he may hurt us. He may hurt himself. He may do something crazy. How do we do this? And David noticed that his servants were whispering to one another and he perceived that the child was dead. So he asked his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his garments. And then he entered the house of the Lord and worshipped. He then went into his own house. When he asked, they set down food for him and he ate. And the servant said to him, what is this thing you've done? You fasted and wept for the sake of the living child, 
But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he explained, as long as the child was alive, I fasted and wept because I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me so that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Am I able to bring him again? No, I will go to him and he will not return to me. I read that to show that although David sinned, it was God's choice to end the life of that child. That The situations are different from what I'm sharing in this, obviously. But that God gives life, and God has the right to take it away. And, and in that, when God took the child's life, the child went to heaven to be with God. That that baby, David's child, is in heaven with David now. That David knew that that child could never come back to him. That God's grace was not going to be on David in this and allow him to enjoy this child and have this heir and have this firstborn. But instead, David would have to wait until he died to go to where the child was. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. I can remember not long after becoming a Christian, middle of the night, probably down getting a midnight snack or a drink or something. My mom and Mark are sleeping and just... Maybe they were away or out or I don't know. But slinking down onto the floor of the kitchen and weeping, being brokenhearted uh, and crying out for forgiveness for what I'd done. I knew I'd already been forgiven of my sin. I'd already prayed. I'd been going to church. I'd been reading my Bible. Not that those things make me right, but I knew God and I was getting to know him better. And I knew that he had already forgiven for me, but the burden of this massive guilt on me was heavy that I couldn't stand. That the loss of this child, my own child at my own hand. No one forced me to do it. No one brought me there. I brought myself and her there and the child there. And God was working on freeing me from that burden. And I, and I don't mean the pain. And I don't necessarily mean the regret. But God is freeing me and still freeing me from that burden. Because the burden needed to be His. He's the only one who could carry that burden. But for my life, I will carry in some sense that pain. I will carry the regret. I will carry the, the ache to want to know them for the rest of my life. And I don't say that, oh, pity me, because it's not a pity thing. I deserve death for what I've done. It's that simple. But what I say this is, is that the burden that God wanted to free me from was affecting my thinking, especially as an early believer. In some ways, I began to think that my wife, as a single man, always on the hunt, trying not to be on the hunt for the Lord, was thinking that his wife one day would be someone who had a child. That somehow there was this penance to make up for it even though I didn't really think of it that way, that's the way this burden was affecting me. And not that I thought I could ever make up for it, but I thought that somehow this thing would work. And this was not the way God works. And there were times, I can remember driving on my long commute home from my elevator job in New Jersey, being hot out and looking in the back seat and imagining what it would have been like to have had a car seat back there and a little baby or a little child looking up at me and smiling and uh, I would turn back around and wonder, wonder how wonderful that would be 
uh, to see my child back there. And when we had Mia in 2013, that was God's first fulfillment of giving me that desire despite all I had done. All their names, I won't go through it now, but God has given us names for each of them. And in some way, they all picture salvation in my life and Ashley's life. But also that God, I remember being so overwhelmed after having her, that God would be so gracious to me to now give me another child to care for. Never a replacement, never filling a hole, and not meant to be. I have four kids because I wanted four kids, not because they would ever fill a hole or bring that child back. But you know, I want to have a million kids because they're wonderful. Even when they're not acting wonderful, they are still wonderful. And it's not something that will ever go away in my life. Like I said, I'll always wonder and desire and wish things could be different somehow. Like I said, there's no way to work that out now. There's no way to bring that out now to have both worlds, right? And I would never trade what I have now in a sense. You know, that equation is not one that works because the Lord has stepped into that equation and given me a result that's different than my life ever added up to. And I think of my friends who have lost a young child or people I know that have had miscarriages, the anguish that they must have because of that. That they were in the right state of mind. They were doing the right thing and they lost a child. And how robbed they must always feel. And how it wasn't their fault. And somehow I have a similar pain and yet it was my fault. And so at the same time, uh, that's part of the struggle of when to share and when not to share because I don't have the same right to as they do. And I don't really have a right to anything, but because of the cross, I share. And God took David's son to be in heaven, like I said, because David was king and God had to make that example and had to make that example out of David and not out of his child. And it was God's decision to take the child home, not David's. Like the Pharisees mentioned in the New Testament, <laughs> you were conceived in sin. You know, we were all born in sin in some way. Our parents are sinners. I don't think we any need any convincing of that. It's unavoidable. We live in a sinful world. But God still creates life in the midst of a sinful world, no matter what the situation is. Whether it was a perfect marriage, if there ever is one, or it was an awful situation that brought about that life of that child. Do we have a right to say who lives and who dies? That's up to God. We are to protect life. Even in capital punishment, capital punishment is meant to protect life. And because we're already talking about something that's very sensitive, I'm not going to talk about something else that's very sensitive. But just because we're responsible in some way for their creation doesn't mean that we created them. And in the same sense, the flip side, we don't have any say in when that life should end, no matter the circumstance. And my child today, how could I say that I have any right to end that child's life? What would they have grown up to be? What would they have grown up to say? Would they have been uh, a president, a freedom fighter, a doctor, 
a, a mother, a father, a teacher, who would they have loved? Who would they have led to the Lord? How many friends would they have impacted along the way? How many people have grown up without a friend because of that? How many lives would have been touched because of them? How would the world have been changed through them? And who was I to prevent that because of my selfish desire? Because I wanted out of the trouble that I got myself in to no fault of their own. Would it have been impossibly hard? Sure, I knew it was impossibly hard. Would it, I have been a good parent? No, not without the Lord. I, I don't even know that I'm a good parent now with the Lord. Would their life and ours potentially have been hard, poverty-stricken? Who knows? Probably. But does that mean that their life was not important, not significant, or worth protecting because of my sin and her sin? Why do we punish our child for the our immaturity, for our crimes and our lack of love? Well, selfishness and sin. And I think about my other children, about Mia and Jacob and Alicia and Timothy. And I've said this to them. Will they ever think that I don't love them? Will they think that what I say throughout my life to them is a lie because of the absence of this other child? Well, Dad did that. He must not really love us. And that's huge. How does that affect them for the rest of their lives? And part of me would want to hide this from them forever, that they would never have that to bother them. And some might say that's the wise way to go, but I say no, because I do never want it to be an atomic bomb to go off in their life. I want them to know in the right ways and in the right times who I was before the Lord and who I am because of the Lord, that they would never be derailed by it, but prayerfully that their faith would be strengthened by it and that they would know that their Father loves them because their father's not who he used to be. Their father loves them because of Jesus, not because of who their father is. And they'll forever be robbed of knowing their older sibling. And not because of an accident, a sickness, a misfortune, but because of what their dad did. Murder. A sacrifice for his sin to his lifestyle. But like I said, thanks be to Jesus. Thanks be to God for giving his son, that they can see what redemption is really about. It's not about being polished. It's not about being perfect. It's not about going to church. It's about being condemned to death and forgiven by his death. And again, I tell them in bite-sized, child-processable ways so it never shocks them, never surprises them, and they've seen me cry over it. I've asked them to forgive me. I know they don't totally understand yet. And they understand in different ways at the different ages. But I pray that they will forgive me somehow for what I've done. And hope they know that I love them. That, like I said, the me without Jesus was a different person. And that I will not be the one to bring them to death. But I will be the one that will protect them at all costs that I will lay my life down for them the way a father truly should. And somehow I think that God uses this to further my desire to love them and protect them somehow. And I think that in some way um, 
I, I hope that my child would appreciate that. And maybe I'm even overprotective, but I'd rather they hate me for that than for being not protective at all and for worse, casting them to the fire. And as we close here, I take comfort knowing that Jesus died for all of my sin. You know, Paul says that he's the chief sinner. I don't disagree, but I feel like I'm pretty close. And even the unthinkable of killing my own child, God took care of on the cross. That even that sin, and the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, right? That when lust gives forth, it brings forth sin, and sin brings forth death. And that was the path of my life. My relationships, my sin, my lust brought forth death. And the worst part is it didn't bring about my own death. It would be one thing if it killed me, but it killed my child. But the fact that God had killed his own son so that I could be forgiven of murdering my baby when they were most vulnerable, that's the cross. That's the gospel. That God would kill his own child. God didn't abort his child as like the abortion protesters have twisted but God allowed his son to die that we might not go to death. And I take comfort, like David, knowing that my child is in heaven and no one can convince me otherwise. Even if that wasn't in Scripture, I know that to be God's heart for children, for babies. He says, let all the little children come to me. And we could talk about the doctrine of age of accountability some other time because it's not that important. But know this, that heaven is filled with many, many, many children. And at least since Roe vs. Wade was a law in America until some statistic 2021, I think, and again, the estimates, who knows, right? But there's a number out there of 63,459,781 abortions since Roe vs. Wade passed. And that's an old number. I don't pretend to understand every situation that everyone is in. But I know that there's always a way out. And a way through with God. The Bible tells us that even in 1 Corinthians. And there are many ways out that don't require the child to suffer. The child to make the sacrifice. Unfortunately, other sacrifices have... There's always a sacrifice, I say. Is it the child or is it our life in one way or the other? And I hope that many men and women will be encouraged to make the right decision by this law being overturned, by those involved in pregnancy centers, by the people that we're able to talk to and share with and, and pray for, that there, show them that there is a way out and a way through, that every life has a worth, that even if it was through an awful circumstance, There's a way out. And there's an argument about a mother's life and all that, but that's a rare thing. And if it's an ectopic pregnancy and there's no way out, I don't know that that should be classified even in the same breath or word. But know that this doing that does not end the situation, does not make your life better, despite what you might see and hear from Hollywood and those proclaiming in their own greatness how wonderful the decision it was for them. 
I, I, whether they truly mean that or not, I don't know. But if they do, I know that there is evil in the world. But I know that when I get to heaven, I will hug Jesus first. And it will probably be a 10,000-year hug. <laughs> but the next one will be, and I, and I know that they will because it's heaven and we're forgiven. But I hope that my child will hug me back and I'll see them face to face and I'll get to talk with them and hear all about them and get to know them for all eternity. I know the way eternity works and I understand these things technically, but I don't want you to think that anything that I feel like I have a right to that. And that's the struggle and that's the the burden of, of this, that committing this act does not free you from anything and in fact puts you in a far worse situation. And so as we close, Proverbs 31.8, open your mouth for those unable to speak in the cause of all those who are appointed to die. And God, we're thankful for all those who have open their mouths for those who can't speak for slavery in the past, for those caught up behind the walls of communism, but mostly, God, for those growing in their mother's wombs who can't speak, who can't breathe, who can't live on their own, but are living on their own, are a separate being, are their own person made in your image, planned before even the creation, the foundations of the world. God, would you save them? Would you help their parents make the right decisions? Show them that there is a way out, and firstly, it's through you, and that you'll provide everything they need. God, please do that. Please bless pregnancy centers and churches and families, and make it easier for adoption and all other ways to take care of these children, God. Thank you so much that you gave your son, Father, to die for us, God, whether we've committed murder or abortion or even just in our hearts hated someone, God, you say it's all the same as far as sin goes and all deserves death. There's different consequences and different ways these things play out. But God, you're gracious and merciful, so please extend forgiveness and grace to those who need it. We all need it, but especially to those who have experienced it. And to those who have lost a child, please strengthen them and minister to them every day. We love you, God. Please come back soon and may we be reunited and can't wait to hear the choir of babies in heaven who are singing to you and with their Father, their Heavenly Father. Thank you that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen. So may God bless you and keep you and His face shine upon you. And there are two other of my wonderful children. So God bless you. There is a vineyard of the Lord There is a vineyard for us soul With all our troubles left behind the door We drink first light until the door